Showtime, a-holes. I suggest you get your head back in the game. It's showtime. Sorry, Rick, it's showtime. It's always showtime, isn't it, Richard? You promised you wouldn't make a big deal. No, you're right, you're right. I promised you I would. You did. But what about everyone else? <laughs> showtime! Hello and welcome to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, as always, Show. Thank you for listening, rating, reviewing, subscribing, all that good stuff. Always a pleasure to chat movies with you guys. A happy new year. A very hearty happy new year to you all. I know technically some of you may have listened to uh, that Spider-Man No Way Home episode and thought to yourselves, ah, well, this is the first episode of the new year. Technically, I recorded that on December 31st, so technically, well, not technically, literally, this is the first I guess new audio you'd be listening to me recording from uh, 2022. So again, happy new year. It's Isn't it funny? I just, I remember looking back, I saw this on Netflix the other day. I was kind of scrolling through with my wife, still kind of getting used to saying that, but in a good way for sure. But uh, uh, I was scrolling through with her and we were kind of deciding what we wanted to watch. And I'm sure people, if you, if you use Netflix, I'm sure you've seen, and they, you know, they recommend things to you because they want you to watch things based on their algorithm and so on. One of those things was like a goodbye to 2021 and a bunch of different services, streaming services have done this where it was like, I guess it's like a bunch of comedians and celebrities kind of just commenting and making light of all the events of the past year and 2020, they did this in 2020, like in January of 2021, uh, you know, and I guess in the lead up to the to New Year's, right? Like in October, November, December, and so on, you could see these things. And I, I do you remember when like the clock ticked over to 2021, everyone was kind of like, ah, good, good riddance, 2020, take a hike, 2020, 2021's going to be so much better. And then of course, 21 was, if not as worse, at, or if not worst, definitely as bad, right? I would say. So uh, here we are again, now going into 2022. Um, which we are in right now, and it was just funny to see all of those specials again. I think I can safely say, I think they're all pretty bad. Honestly, like that's my uh, Cole's note review of that, right? I just, I don't know. Do we really need a million of those things? Do we really, do we really even need one? Like, I, I don't think we need comedians and celebrities to tell us that, uh, you know, twenty twenty one was bad. The last couple years have sucked for everyone. There's not a single person who would say, oh, yeah, everything about those last the pandemic years were good, right? By the way, I still think it's crazy that we are living through a pandemic considering the Spanish flu, which came out over 100 years ago, was the last pandemic. So uh, nuts to those last two years, I'll say that. But still, I do hope if you listen to this podcast, if you're listening right now, if you have ever listened to an episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast, that you're doing well in the first couple of uh, days, right? The first 10, 11, 12 days of... Uh, of 2022 um kind of some bummer news to get to off the top i did kind of want to discuss chat about a little bit with you guys about uh a couple of legendary actors who who passed away recently um betty white and Sidney poitier and it's just funny i i admit i I, i've never really it's not that i've never been a fan of betty white it's just i don't think i've ever really seen anything of hers where i thought to my like beyond her essentially cameoing as Betty White. Like, I never watched The Golden Girls, and I know that's what she's largely famous from. Um, and hey, kudos to Betty White for uh, getting to be age 99. Her birthday would have been in a couple of weeks. Although I see some people on Twitter saying things like, well, she lived for so long that she would have lived for twenty, like more than, I think, 24 leap years, which is a remarkable feat. And so because of that, or leap days or what have you, so... 
Uh, because of that, if you count those extra days of February that like, we don't always count, she would have made it to the 100, which I honestly is a remarkable achievement. So you know what? Um, R.I.P. to Betty White, and uh, you know I think I think I feel like the most I got to know got to know her, quote unquote, was from like a Ryan Reynolds commercial or something. I don't even remember. Anyways, uh, Betty White passing away at the age of 99, and Sydney Poitier at age 94. Poitier. How do I put this? Like he was, he was Hollywood royalty, right? And I think, like, I mean, obviously we know all of his really, really famous movies, like *To Sir with Love*, probably probably being the most famous one. I think that was a movie he won an Oscar for. You know, you got uh, *In the Heat of the Night* and *They Call Me Mr. Tibbs*, which I'll never forget. Honestly, I, I remember you watched also *To Sir with Love* when I was in grade school. And I mean, considering this is a movie that came out in 1967, um, that that kids. I think we watched this when I was like in grade five or something that everyone or mostly everyone in that class uh, were largely paying attention, I think is a pretty, pretty big achievement for kids that young. Honestly, I know why and why we watched it and so on. But at the same time, like, I don't know, kind of cool, right? So I I always think of that. He was one of my parents' favorite actors. And obviously he retired like a a, a very long time ago. Also had some uh, good, uh, some directing in him too, right? He directed... I think uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor in a couple of comedies, which you don't always associate with him, right? So kind of cool. But again, uh, Sidney Poitier passing away as well very recently. So uh, I hope uh, he and Betty White are in heaven uh, doing whatever it is they want to do, whether it was uh, continuing acting or any of their other, I'm sure, many, many uh, pastimes and hobbies. But again, yeah, Betty White, Sidney Poitier no longer with us. Um, It's interesting, though, I mean, when you think about their legacies and you think about, I mean, I'm sure everyone always remembers the legacy of Poitier as it relates to Denzel Washington, right? Because of the Oscars, which is something we talk about on this podcast a lot. The moment of, uh, the, the, the Oscars moment, I should say, of, you know, remember, uh, I think it was Poitier got like the Lifetime Achievement Award, I want to say. Denzel won for Training Day, Best Actor for Training Day that same night, which is just remarkable, right? So... Pretty cool, and I think their their impacts on Hollywood, and in Betty White's case, certainly TV as well, um, I don't think will ever really be forgotten, right? So I just uh, I know it's kind of a bummer thing to start off with, but it's just they were such massive figures that I feel like we had to kind of mention it. But um, on this episode of the podcast, uh, we did do the Spider-Man review uh, in the last episodes. So if you want to check that out, you still can. Please uh, feel free. Again, like I always say, rate, review, subscribe, etc., um, the positive ones, right? Don't like subscribe and leave a negative review. <laughs> I mean, you can't, I guess you can if you want, but please don't. Um, but uh, when it comes to today's episode, I decided to kind of take stock of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And again, I know some people may not be as uh, bullish, let's say, on the Marvel Universe. I don't know if that's quite the right the right term, let's say. But either way, quite enjoy the MCU as, as I do. I, I mean, I've said this before. I like all movies, honestly. I'll watch... Like, I'll watch anything. I may not enjoy every movie, but I like watching movies, and I'll watch virtually anything. And I can acknowledge that not all the MC movies are perfect, but I still enjoy going to the theater and being entertained for a couple of hours, right? So Spider-Man definitely did that. And uh, to help me kind of, let's say, take stock of the MCU, I've brought on my pal Josh Goldberg, um, good friend of mine, and Josh watches a ton of movies as well. And if you remember, Josh actually came on the podcast, like, I don't think, I think it was before the pandemic, because um, we did this, uh, we did this interview actually 
uh, kind of digitally, right? Like kind of over like a Skype type call. And uh, the first time we did it was in person, um, which was much better, obviously, because you get to see someone, which is always fun. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's been so long since Josh and I kind of did our stock taking, as we're calling it, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought it would be fun to have him on again now that we're through a full 2021 year of three Marvel movies, many different uh, Disney Plus TV shows. Is it actually, is it three Marvel movies or four? Did Black Widow come out in 2021? Honestly, it's been so long. Uh, and 2021 has felt like a thousand years that I actually don't remember. But anyways, we got a lot of Marvel movies this year and a lot of Marvel Disney Plus TV shows. So Josh joined me and we uh, chatted a little bit about that. So that's the bulk of this episode. Here's Josh Goldberg and I talking about the MCU. Happy to be joined by my pal Josh Goldberg here to chat the state of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. Josh, how's it going, man? Good, man. Uh, it's been a, a weird year, obviously, for, for everyone. But I don't know. For me, it's been a weird year for the MCU also. I don't know if I'm kind of reached a point where I think it's been good or bad. I'm still sort of processing everything that we've seen over the last number of months. But it's just it's a real pivot away from the last few i guess iterations phases of the universe and i I think i'm i would imagine i'm not the only one who's i guess figuring out how to adjust to the new era for marvel and and movies and tv shows well i guess this year we got a number of disney plus tv shows which we'll chat about despite this being a movie podcast but those are are you know related to the movie world and we got three marvel movies we got shang chi we got Eternals and, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home. So we'll talk about all of those. But it, it's just interesting. I mean, the Marvel Universe has now gotten away from all of the... I was going to say terrestrial stories. That's not entirely true. But it's just, I guess, in this post-Iron Man, post-Captain America world, they still seem to sort of be figuring it out. And it's funny. If you look at where, let's say, like the Avengers are going, and you asked me, who are the main Avengers? Honestly... I don't really know what the answer to that question is. Yeah, I, I think that my big issue right now with where these movies might be going is it's just, as expected, it was going to be such a challenge to move past the last era with all those iconic characters and a story that I think everyone got really attached to, right, with the culmination with the uh, the two movies, you know, Infinity War and Endgame. It was hard to follow that up. Those were two epics, and it really tied the story together. And there's just so much material and so many characters that weren't touched that you know you could get into so much more and, and flesh out so many new things. But there was a real attachment from a lot of people to those characters. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the most successful new shows and movies of this phase of the MCU are still connected to those earlier phases and those earlier characters. You're talking about, you know, Spider-Man doing so well at the box office. WandaVision was obviously really popular on on TV. I think Hawkeye, same sort of thing. Loki is obviously a character that uh, a lot of people have connections to from, you know, those those movies as well. And then you look at, especially Eternals, but to some extent uh, Shang-Chi, I think, didn't resonate the same way because you're talking about characters that you just don't have 
that much of a connection to. And I think that that's going to be the big challenge for the, the studio and the writers and directors of all these movies going forward is how they can kind of move away or move beyond Iron Man and Captain America, etc., and try and forge a new path that you know, fans can really resonate and get attached to and get connected with. Yeah, it's true. I I, uh, I think you bring up a good point with with Hawkeye and Loki and so on because those were like Hawkeye. I think by far, at least you know this is kind of anecdotal, but Hawkeye by far seems to be the most well received of the four Disney Plus shows that came out this year. The only one we haven't mentioned so far is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And even though those two guys, those two characters, are characters people kind of know, and I think there's a lot of love for both of them. I think the problem with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I never really talked about it on the podcast until now, but the problem with that show more than anything else, I think, has to do with events that are completely out of their control. Because from what I understand, that uh, show was filmed before the pandemic, but what ended up happening was I think one of the main plot points in that movie was some kind of biological weapon that was released upon the uh, unsuspecting populace of a country or or you know a couple of countries or something like that and i guess the executives at disney i probably wisely decided to axe that part of the plot but i think they didn't really they kind of just edited around it instead of reshooting too many things so i think because of that the plot of falcon and the winter soldier seems kind of disjointed because in the end the villain of that of that entire show was this like young girl who becomes a super soldier and then they it just kind of seems like the falcon and the winter soldier are like persecuting her for no reason and and, and i mean i it did some interesting stuff with how like could a black man ever be captain america in in the modern united states that was i thought some really interesting stuff but because the rest of the overarching plot seems so disjointed i think some people largely kind of dismissed it in the end which is kind of a shame yeah, it uh, definitely is the one that I guess kind of came up the smallest and, and didn't really, it just didn't really work. You know, there were good moments, like you said, but like as I sit back and try and reflect on that show and how it ties in, they'll find a way, I'm sure, to involve those characters in some form or fashion um, going forward. But I just left with that and just thought, well, I guess they kind of brought Sam and Bucky together, right? They had this kind of odd couple relationship where they butted heads and then eventually, you know, they kind of band together and that was expected. But I, I, it didn't really leave me feeling all that satisfied in terms of, you know, where that story might be going next and how they can tie it into other projects. Whereas, you know, obviously some of the other shows, WandaVision, Doctor Strange, uh, is going to be involved. We saw the, the teaser after Spider-Man, so they did a good job with that. You know, the Loki with the, all the variants and, and, and everything involving the multiverse there, I think that is obviously going to tie into a big way what goes on in the future. And then, you know, I think Hawkeye, part of the issue I, I sort of have with it is, like, it did a good job finally fleshing out Jeremy Renner's character, Clint Barton. We had some some snippets here and there, but it, it kind of gave him a showcase and a spotlight to really 
you know, perform and, and give that character a little bit more depth. And I thought he did a good job with that. But the big takeaway is that they're, I think, sort of planting the seed for another Hawkeye and Black Widow tandem, which will be great because those two characters and those two actors have great chemistry. But it's just kind of rehashing something that's already happened. Like we had a, a Hawkeye, Black Widow emotional connection. You're just kind of showing us, telling us that that's what's going to happen again. It's it's easy to do and it will work, but I don't know. It just it kind of seems like the easier road to go. But I guess, you know, it should be expected when it comes to these types of movies and franchises that they're going to go with the crowd pleasers. Oh, yeah, yeah. People love Florence Pugh's Elena, right? Like that character was she was already kind of the highlight from Black Widow, which I guess I forgot also came out in 2021. It feels like a million years ago. But uh, that uh, that movie was it was strange because I never really felt after I watched Black Widow, I never felt like I had had been able to as someone who's watched like most people, all of the MCU movies that like Scarlett Johansson's character, Natasha, had been given like a proper goodbye And it's funny because I would say, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, I would say, Josh, that Hawkeye did a better job, oddly, of eulogizing Natasha Romanoff as a character than Black Widow the movie itself ever did, which kind of is strange to say. I I, 100% couldn't agree more. And Black Widow, I think, was kind of punished. It punished itself in terms of the timing. That movie really would have worked if it had fallen in line with the rest of the the timeline of the movies, you know, kind of having this origin story of sorts or, or background story, filling in some of the blanks of a character who, you know, is already gone from the universe is like, it was a good movie. I, I thought it, it was effective and, and, and well done and, and enjoyable, but I just felt that the timing of it obviously wasn't ideal. And yeah, it just left sort of this weird, well, what's the connection between these characters? How are we going to flesh it out? And I know that they did sort of in the post credit scene uh, where she gets, it sort of sets the, the Elena gets the, the picture of Hawkeye and that sort of sets the the series, the TV series into motion a little bit or, or providing some background as to why she was going to be involved in it. But yeah, that last episode of Hawkeye, that final I guess, battle fight between Hawkeye and the new Black Widow did a nice job kind of tying that all together and allowing those characters, I suppose, to move on a little bit and a much better job than the Black Widow movie did. But that movie was still effective in sort of, I guess, establishing the relationship between the two Black Widows and why they were so close and, and I guess, kind of giving Yelena's character some some more background as to, you know, what she might be involved in going forward. Because I think she's going to be a pretty big part, like you said, everyone loves Florence Pugh, uh, of what the MCU looks like going forward. Whether she's a regular Avenger, I know there's like a, what is it, the Dark Avengers, a sort of more of a villain type of Avengers uh, cast or, or crew. Maybe they go that direction. I think there's a lot of possibilities, though. Yeah, they seem to be setting up many threads or at least laying the groundwork to to pick them up if they really want to. Like you said, the Dark Avengers, they've had the Thunderbolts in the past. They have, I think they're clearly setting up the Young Avengers, like we saw uh, the the young kid from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, who I think in some of the comics becomes Patriot. 
Uh, we saw, well, in WandaVision is a question of if they're real or not, but we saw Wanda's kids, they're part of the Young Avengers. Hawkeye, like Haley Steinfeld's Hawkeye, she's a part of the Young Avengers, Kate Bishop. So I think uh, the Marvel Universe is going in as many directions as they can possibly fathom right now. Yeah. And then you add it on top of that, the multiverse. So I, I think it's really interesting to see that... I mean, they're clearly planning on making these movies for years and years and years and years. And we already know that, you know, we got Thor 4 on the horizon, Black Panther 2 on the horizon, Doctor Strange 2, as you mentioned, is coming out next year in May. So uh, maybe I should stop saying next year. I guess I should say in 2022 (laughs) in May, considering we're recording this on New Year's Eve. Um, I do want to say, Josh, one of the most interesting parts of the Marvel Universe as of late not just the Disney Plus TV shows, but obviously Spider-Man No Way Home. And I mentioned the multiverse, and we've seen uh, the, the, I guess, what, the first entry into the multiverse with uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is just a phenomenal movie. And the, the second one's coming out in 2023, I think, at this point, which is so far away. But, I boy, No Way Home, I've said this before, but I feel like that movie was essentially fan service the movie, right? Like, it's a movie made of crowd-pleasing moments. And it's funny to think that whenever you see a movie that is made of moments like that, I feel like, generally speaking, it's it's usually pretty bad because people, I think people are aware that fan service can't drive a movie by itself. But Spider-Man No Way Home did a pretty good job because it actually used the nostalgia and, and the fan service to tell the story in a cohesive and kind of meaningful way. Like, sure, did I love every beat of that movie? No, but at the same time, I think all the parts that were designed to make the audience scream, and, and they did when I went to go see it the other couple weeks ago, uh, it, it like it still was serviceable in, in forwarding not just the, mo- the narrative of this movie, but like the story of Spider-Man as it pertains to the MCU. Yeah, I, I agree that, you know, there were moments where I might have rolled my eyes a little bit because, like you said, it was just a fan service and, and crowd-pleasing. But the fact that they were able to hit some high notes and allow, you know, some good moments and closure for some characters. Like, I, I thought that Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man getting the opportunity to kind of showcase his skills again, those movies were deservedly so especially the second one the first one i think kind of gets lumped in but it objectively wasn't a bad movie but it allowed his character some closure and it was cool to see toby Maguire's spider-man again and obviously willem dafoe as green goblin norman osborne i think kind of stole the movie he's the best villain in any spider-man movie by far he just does such a good job playing between uh you know norman who's controlled by the green goblin and then obviously the the maniacal goblin himself you know, like the lizard being in the movie, I'm not really sure what that accomplished other than just giving another villain to have. It, it was a little long for my liking, and some of the plot points felt, I, I thought, a little bit forced. Like, uh, unfortunately, having, you know, Aunt May die, you knew that that was always going to be a possibility. But it just, it kind of, in the end, sort of serves as a reset for Spider-Man, this iteration of Spider-Man, the MCU Spider-Man, because, you know, in the early movies, or or in the Tobey Maguire franchise, and and I guess to an extent in in the Garfield one as well, Spider-Man doesn't have all this high-end tech, and he's not connected to the Avengers or Stark Industries or anything like that. And then by having this plot point where 
Spider-Man exists, but nobody knows who he is, it sort of allows the franchise the fresh start of, well, this is back to basics where, you know, he's sewing his own costume and he's got the police transponder or a, a radio app and he's fighting crime that way. It allows the, this franchise, this version of Peter Parker and Spider-Man to do something it hasn't done before. And it basically resets and allows them to go any which way they want, which I think is a clever bit of work to, I guess, kind of align this thing uh, with the new direction that the MCU might be going. Because if it was Spider-Man connected to the old Avengers, it might be difficult to really blend that character in with some of the new versions. And now it's almost like he's starting out again with some of the new faces and characters that I think are going to be heavily featured in the next phase or phases uh, of the MCU. Well, it's funny, right? Because when it comes to Peter Parker and this version of him, we had never heard someone say, like, the line to him, with great power comes great responsibility. And I guess you kind of just assumed that he had had it said to him before the events of, I guess, even Civil War, right? Like, because Civil War is when you see Spider-Man for the first time and, Tony goes to, I guess, the Bronx or wherever he lives in, in Manhattan, and, and you know, he shows him the footage of, like, a homemade Spider-Man costume fighting on the streets. And I think in the first Spider-Man movie, in Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a part where he, like, paraphrases the, the great power, great responsibility yeah. thing, and... So you kind of drew your own conclusions. Like there was probably an Uncle Ben, and he probably said that to Peter at some point, and Disney was was not interested in like relitigating reliving that moment again in the first movie again because we had seen it so many times before which i totally understood and i kind of welcomed it at the time but it's funny to think that at at this time now in no way home when aunt may said it it felt it's funny to think that it almost feels to me more earned that someone said it to him just because marissa tomei's aunt may had been in multiple marvel movies uh she had she was you know even if she was just kind of the joke was oh aunt may's hot now as opposed to being yeah. like an old i think sally field was aunt may at one point and then yeah i think i, I don't even remember what the name of the actress was from the one that told me mcguire but i uh it, like, it, even though aunt uncle ben said it's to peter in both of those movies i just i don't know like the, they weren't characters you really knew whereas you got time to know marissa tomei's Aunt May, and you know why she instilled this uh, this kind of charitable um, outlook on life in Peter because he saw what she did for a living, and 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 of course that it was the Green Goblin that kills her in the end was makes it all the more poignant. I gotta say, like I of all the points in No Way Home, I think her dying caught me by surprise the most. Yeah, I mean once once she said the line to Peter, I'm like, okay, she's toast. That's it. Yeah. She's she's done but uh up until that point i thought to myself uh maybe like, i wonder what the big conflict of this movie will be but i think they handled it really well and like you said they essentially soft rebooted spider-man because now none of the avengers know who he is and it's funny because i think you know the major avenger who knew who he was anyways was was tony and i guess to a lesser degree happy and now neither of them knew who he is even if all the other avengers know that spider-man exists they don't know yeah. who he is and 
I guess the other, the kind of real world aspect of it too is that if Sony ever decides to take their ball and go home and not let Spider-Man be it anymore, they kind of put a nice little bow on this version of Spider-Man and you know the MCU can go in a direction where they never have to use Spider-Man if, again if they want to. I don't think that's going to happen. Like I think uh, Amy Pascal did say at the premiere for No Way Home that as far as she's concerned, Spider-Man is going to be around for a very, very long time. So I think that's good news for fans of the movies and fans of Spider-Man in particular. But it, w- it was just interesting because it works on a number of levels, not just in the movies, but this way they can kind of go wherever they want now. Yeah, and and like it, it, there's just no way that these movies aren't going to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's just there, there's too much money to be yeah. made for everyone involved. Like uh, I, I know Tom Holland has been very vocal. It's like uh, Daniel Craig with James Bond. You get to a point after playing the same character in these, I, I, let's call them formulaic movies, right? You you can do a little bit more. That he was allowed to show more depth, and he's a, he's a strong actor. There's no question about it. But it's still you know, it is what it is. It's a superhero movie as part of a larger universe. And, and the same thing with James Bond. As an actor, you probably get to a point where it's just like, okay, I'd like to do something else instead of just kind of being betrothed to this character for an indetermined period, undetermined period of time, you know, it could be a decade or something. But it's hard to see like Tom Holland disappearing from this role anytime soon. And I, you know, he, he was able to move past the Tobey Maguire because it was completely different because it seemed like they fan, finally found a kid of sorts who kind of connected with the role. Like Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, they were too, I always thought, too old to play Spider-Man. Like, he's supposed to be in high school and Tobey Maguire, and, and that first movie came out in 2002. What was he, probably like in his late 20s? Yeah. And I know that that's a part <laughs> of Hollywood that's an issue. Sometimes you just can't mesh up age and you have somebody who's maybe two times the age of a high school kid playing a high school kid but Tom Holland really connected with the role in the in the right way I thought and it would be hard to move past him and find somebody else I think that could fit in the same way and I think the the creators you know Kevin Feige and, and Sony and whoever else is involved probably are aware of that and I think Tom Holland is probably uh, aware of that as well, but the question is, you know, is there another Spider-Man standalone, or is he going to be a character that factors into, you know, other movies? And then I'm sure we're building to some sort of a compilation Avengers type movie in the next, I don't know, three four years, let's say something like that, maybe five years. And I think they got to figure out, you know, what the the right direction to take this character is going forward. And they they've earned our benefit of the doubt. Like I, I don't have a lot of questions or concerns that they're going to push the right buttons you know there might be some bumps along the way here going forward and there already have been i think you know we can talk about eternals it it wasn't great but i think on the whole they've more than earned the benefit of the doubt they'll be able to pull this all together and satisfy all of their fans you know one thing josh that i like my i've been kind of speculating about you and i actually talked about this before like the last time maybe the last time we checked up on the state of the mcu a couple of years ago um i had said then that i thought that based on the events of spider-man homecoming we could eventually see oscorp in the new universe right because uh, the events of homecoming spider-man you know like the big thing was that the vulture michael keaton's vulture 
uh, hijacks the plane that has all the Stark tech when they're like leaving the building, like in the middle of Manhattan, right? That was the kind of big plot plot point at the end of that movie. And I always thought that having a giant skyscraper in the middle of Manhattan was conducive to Oscorp or any other superheroes. I mean, how many Marvel superheroes in the comics are in New York? Like a million of them, basically, right? But I thought it was funny because um, one of... In this movie, in, in No Way Home, they basically confirmed that there is no Oscorp, right? They they confirmed that. Oscorp doesn't exist. Willem Dafoe's Norman Osborn says he tried to look for Oscorp and he couldn't find it. So that would, that would suggest to me that at least right now there is no Oscorp. Um... Going forward, though, I wonder, because you you mentioned, oh, do we see Spider-Man as a part of a team-up? Do we see Spider-Man maybe, I don't know, like in some other fashion? Well, I think it's already been announced that John Watts, who directed Homecoming, Far From Home, No Way Home, is going to be the director of the new Fantastic Four movie. They've announced that. They haven't announced any uh, casting for the Fantastic Four, certainly, which I'm very much looking forward to. But um, the Fantastic Four being the the next big group of Marvel superheroes that we've never really seen done, you know, quote-unquote, properly. Uh, and John Watts being the director... Well, you know, if it's not going to be Oscorp, that giant building, it could easily be the Baxter building. So for speculating, I mean, I wonder if we might not see... Peter Parker and Spider-Man, not like, you know, join the Fantastic Four, but like be a part of some kind of superhero team up. Because as we know, the MCU loves to put standalone superheroes in other movies, right? Like the first time we saw Black Panther wasn't in Black Panther, it was in Civil War, right? And so on. So I just, I wonder if that's the kind of route they might go in the not too distant future, especially because it's a director that knows, quote unquote, Spider-Man pretty well. Yeah, I, I think that that's one of the more intriguing, I guess, things that hasn't been announced yet is what the new Fantastic Four is going to look like. And I think a lot of people are, are very interested in that, you know, what characters are involved or their new ones. Because, like, there's obviously still a lot of characters who need to be introduced into the MCU. And a lot of them, I think, I, I guess, are going to be introduced on television series over the yeah. next couple of months or, or year or so. Like, it, it, there's going to be a She-Hulk, right, that... I think is going to be obviously heavily involved. And that that kind of brings us back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's just a different variation of the same character. It's not going to be the same character, but you're talking about, you know, uh, Kate Bishop is going to be Hawkeye and we, we have a new Hulk who's who's going to be a woman. It, like, it's, it's going to be cool. And I, I'm pretty confident that will work. But are they going to introduce, you know, like, that's why I thought Shang-Chi really worked because it was a new character that we hadn't seen obviously has history in the comic books and they did a good job and they found the right person to play that character and they introduced a pretty cool i guess universe there in that movie that will tie into i think a lot of what's going on in the mcu we saw it in the post-credit scene with you know wong from doctor strange being involved and and clearly alluding to the fact that shang chi is going to be a big part of it you want to see more of that type of thing going forward where the new characters introduced are are good and and they connect with the audience and you can find a way to deliver their own entertaining and uh, and quality story while also leaving open lots of possibilities to tie them into 
whatever other movie or television show or what have you uh, that you decide to go to. Well, it kind of brings me back all the way around to when we were at the beginning of this, we were talking about like what, like who will be the new Avengers, right? And I think it's safe to say that, like, for example, Captain Marvel will be one of the main Avengers. And I'm sure Spider-Man, they want him to be one of the main Avengers as he kind of should be. But like, if they decide to go more small scale with Spider-Man, then I really truly think, and Black Panther was probably going to be a big part of that on before the this terrible uh, timing for Chadwick Boseman and he passing away and it's it sucks because we're not we're never going to see I mean just apart from the MCU we're never going to see performances from him again so it's just it, I'm sure that caught you know the the studio completely by surprise by all accounts so with him gone that changes I think how they want to present their new quote-unquote lineup of superheroes and I just can't help but think that not only will the Fantastic Four and like Mr. Fantastic and the rest of those guys be uh, the most important additions they've had in a while, certainly Doctor Doom, I feel like, is going to be a really important addition to the MCU whenever they get around to casting him, but I just, I, it does lead you, I don't know, I don't know how long down the road we'll have to go to get to this point, but the X-Men, right? I mean, the X-Men, I think, are what a lot of people are looking forward to seeing, I mean... In in your mind, when you even mention the word Wolverine, I think for most people you think of Hugh Jackman, right? Or when you think of, I don't know, when you think of Magneto, you think of Ian McKellen. Or when you think of Professor X, you think of Patrick Stewart. And I think it was probably a good decision by Kevin Feige and the rest of these guys to just say, all right, you know what? We've had so many X-Men movies since, let's say, like 1999 or 2000, whenever the first one came out. Uh, we've had so many of them, maybe it's time to give them a rest. So we may not see the X-Men reintroduced until 2024 or 25 at this point. But you can be, you can almost guarantee that whenever they do get reintroduced, like Magneto, Professor X, Wolverine, Jean Grey, and Cyclops, at the very least, not to mention all the other really famous ones as well, Storm, Rogue, etc., uh, they're going to be such massive parts of the MCU. And it's funny, I almost wonder if that's going to give the MCU... I don't think it needs a jolt necessarily, but I wonder when it does come. I'll be interested to see how they integrate all of those guys with, like... At that point, the people who will be the old vets, like Doc, like Benedict Cumberbatch, Doctor Strange, his second movie's coming out in, like, about six, five, six months... By 2025, I don't even know if he's going to be an actor in the MCU anymore, right? I mean, not because not because he's he's that old or anything, but maybe Benedict Cumberbatch, like you said, for Tom Holland, and I'm sure this was the case for Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr., but, you know, the guy's in Oscars, Oscar movies every other year. Maybe he decides, eh, I don't really want to do this anymore. When, you know what, after doing... I don't remember when Doctor Strange 1 came out. I think it was like in 2016 or 2017 or something like that. But, uh, boy, I mean... I wouldn't blame the guy for deciding to move on after almost 10 years of playing a character, and I'm sure they'll have more storylines for him then. It's just it's just a fascinating discussion about how these actors and the shelf life of these characters may not be for as long as we think it might be. Yeah, and I think that part of, that's part of the reason you're probably going to start seeing more of these younger actors and younger characters taking over, right, who are in their mid-late 20s or early 30s who... You know, obviously, that doesn't mean that they don't want to do other things, but there's there's more of an opportunity for them to really sink into a big-time franchise that they can 
be tied to for you know upwards of a decade. Like uh, Robert Downey Jr. was involved for I guess it was eleven years, right? And however many movies from two thousand eight when Iron Man one came out to two thousand nineteen, and I think you're seeing the possibility of some of that um, happening. I know that they're making a Miss Marvel uh, TV show, or she maybe she's going to be involved in one of the uh, the Disney Plus MCU. A TV series, and I think the actress who was playing Miss Marvel is like 15 or 16 or something like that. So you're talking about somebody who could be involved in, and could be a prominent character going forward. And we just saw it in Hawkeye, two you know mid 20s actresses who I think are going to be involved uh, in a big way going forward to an extent. Also, Tom Holland, and we're going to see more of that I think going forward. And like that is encouraging that you're going to have characters who I think fans and and the audience can connect to but the most important thing is that you can find an overarching story that really brings people in the way that the uh you know the the infinity stones saga really did and i think right now the jury's still out on whether that's going to be the case because the multiverse has a lot of cool possibilities but it's pretty intricate and there's a lot of moving parts and it's not as easy as just well you know, the, somebody's out to get all of these stones that can basically make that person or being the most powerful in the universe. This is going to be a lot different. We're talking about different timelines and, and, and different dimensions and stuff like that, that I think, you know, has the potential to be really cool and really exciting and really fun. But they have more work to do, I think, to ensure that they stick the landing and it isn't a disappointment. Well, and that that kind of brings me, I guess, to you mentioned it before, The Eternals, because that movie, and I mean the quality of the movie aside for one second, because I mean I I thought it was okay. I didn't I didn't dislike it by any means, but it was just kind of fine. And I think a large part of that was because, like you said, you don't really care about many of these characters, right? Like I like I like I liked a lot of the actors. I like Gemma Chan, and I like Richard Madden, and. And Don Wong and Don, you know, I just I like a lot of these characters, Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, certainly as well. But uh, you don't really care too much about many of these characters. And then most of them just like leave or not that are not that important by the end of the movie anyways. But the actual like the the part of the Marvel Universe, it looks towards more, I guess, is a part we kind of sort of got familiar with, like, when the Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and now Captain Marvel, certainly, just like that more cosmic stuff. And I think, you know, the idea of the Celestials and how they, you know, they have uh, a larger part to play with the universe, the galaxy at large, um, and, and how the Eternals are involved and how Earth is involved and so on. I thought that was an interesting thing because... I mean, you know, you now get to see... Well, first of all, the Celestials, I thought they did a great job making them making them have just massive scale, right? Like when... when I forgot what the guy's name is, but when he... Uh, Ar- Arishem? Yeah, that's his name. Arishem. When he turns up at Earth at the very end of the movie and he just zaps away the three Eternals, like all, all I could think of was if you looked up in the sky right now and you saw like a planet-sized being looming over, like just filling up the sky, man, there'd be like panic and chaos in the streets. And I thought they did a great job of depicting how just fearsome the Celestials were. I mean, you saw him hand holding the Celestial, the, the Eternals in his hand and I don't even think that gave you a good sense of scale because it's just one person. But compared to a giant planet, 
I thought it was really interesting because now you can go in any direction you want, right? Like, for example, I think the most famous celestial most people would know is is Galactus, right? And Galactus is, we had previously seen in those Fantastic Four movies with, uh, I guess it was with Fox many, many years ago. And that's that sucked, right? Like, <laughs> Galactus was a, a big cloud that kind of sort of had a face and... That's where we got to see the Silver Surfer for the first time. So yeah. it does give me faith that we will eventually see that again, probably somewhere down the road. But it just opens up a whole new realm of possibilities, including that after credit scene with, funnily enough, Harry Styles is now a member of the Marvel Universe. But, I mean, hey, uh, the guy was in Dunkirk, so I guess he can kind of sort of sort of, kind of act, right? But he is now the brother of Thanos and... It just opens up so many more possibilities. Like I remember when I was younger, Josh, I read this comic book story, which was I was shocked to see um, the Star Fox character in an actual movie because I remember there's um, a storyline where I think Star Fox like pretends to be everyone's friend, and then he like bring he like what part of his plot is he's trying to bring Thanos back to life. And I, I can't help but think that just by having him be present, They've now opened the door to doing literally whatever they want. And I'm sure you know the way movies work. Like down the road, like in 10 years, I'm sure we'll be having the discussion about like the big reveal at the in an after credit scene will be like Thanos putting the Infinity Gauntlet on again or like you seeing his smile or I don't know, something like that. And I just went with the kind of the way the MCU operates and the way it's designed. And like you said, they're kind of formulaic movies like. These things will eventually come full circle, even if it takes another 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely true. And like the, the post-credit scenes still, I think, are the thing that a lot of people look forward to the most, even sometimes more than the movie. And, and you know, like we saw Blade, I think, teased in, in one of yeah. the Eternals uh, post-credit scenes, which I, I think is really cool. And you know, Mahershala Ali is incredible, one of the best actors around these days, and, and to see what he might be able to do with that character and how that character might tie into the rest of the universe. It's like, But I, my, my biggest thing with the Eternals is just, you know, where does that tie into everything else that's going on? I, I think that there's a lot of possibility, but it's going to be interesting to see if, how, when that, I guess, that storyline and those characters may or may not tie into what could be going on with any other number of stories or characters in the next phase and the phase that we're currently in when it comes to the MCU. Yeah, the Eternals are like there's such a huge question mark and, and I mean like Richard Madden is gone. I still think, just as an aside, I still think Richard Madden is gonna be the next James Bond. I think it's gonna be him. Um I, I don't know I don't know. I know there was some talk about it being Tom Hardy, I think. And it's also possible it could be someone completely unknown. But, I mean, even when Daniel Craig and Pierce Brosnan before him, even when both of them were cast, like, they weren't, like, complete unknowns, right? Like, Daniel Craig had been... Remember he was in, like, the Tomb Raider movies? He was, like, Angelina Jolie's, like, ex-boyfriend or something in the in the Tomb Raider movies. And he was also in Layer Cake, for example. And I want to say Pierce Brosnan was the star of that TV show, uh, Remington Steel. So Mm -hmm. it it wasn't as though they were complete nobodies. So I I would love Richard Madden as the next James Bond. And now he's not a part of the MCU anymore because he was in this one movie and he dies at the end. So uh, that's just one thing. But uh, it's true. The Eternals... 
kind of an odd it, an odd movie a strange movie um but still i think it does set up some interesting possibilities like for when they go back to like the mind garden or whatever the hell they called it in the movie and you know having angelina jolie still be around and you know a whole host of extremely talented actors brian david tyree I, that's going to be really one is a really fun fun actor to have around in the mcu for a little while as well and i do agree mahershala ali is one of my favorite actors alive today so i can't wait to see what he brings to blade because it's been a long time since we got a new blade movie and i have no doubt he's going to be absolutely fantastic uh, i guess to wrap this up josh what do you think like when it comes to 2022 here we are, right at the beginning of the year. Um, we already know we're going to get Doctor Strange 2. Um, that's coming out in May, as we've said. Um, I'm sure we're going to get a whole swath of uh, Disney Plus TV shows. You mentioned a couple of them, like She-Hulk, uh, Miss Miss Marvel. I think Moon Knight with Oscar Isaac, who's another one of my favorite yeah. actors. I think that comes out in 2022. So we're going to get a, a whole ton more of Marvel content this year. I'm, I'm not sure if we're getting another Marvel movie this year. I could be wrong. I think it, it may just be Doctor Strange 2. But either way, what are, you, what are you hoping for from Doctor Strange and the rest of the Marvel Universe this coming year because i i maybe by the end of the year we get an announcement on casting for fantastic four maybe we get a fantastic four trailer or some news on the x-men or something but what are you hoping for for from the mcu uh, in 2022 well i think just to to really sort of uh, outline what the next you know concrete story that ties everything together like how are we going to you know, bring in the multiverse of madness and, and Thor, Love and Thunder and Black Panther. And, and then, then the next Captain Marvel movie comes out and Ant-Man in the quantum realm. And, and uh, I think, you know, the, the character from Loki, the uh, King, the Conqueror is going to be right. in there. And he was he who remains in, in Loki. How is all of this going to tie together into what the next, I guess, central plot or you know you unifying theme or themes are of the next i guess you know iteration of whether it's the avengers or something similar to it is because i don't have a lot of um doubt that these movies are going to be strong on their own and and, and be entertaining and be and be good but how are they going to be able to i guess connect everything together and I'm going to be really interested to see you know, how they go about doing that. Because it's obvious all of this stuff is in some way, shape, or form connected to everything else that's going on. And I'll be curious to see what you know, the, the common thread is that maybe brings it all together. Okay, do you think before New Year's Eve 2022, do you think we get a trailer for, or at the very least, casting news for any Fantastic Four or X-Men uh, potential uh, potential characters. I'll say yes, but I, I don't feel super confident that that's the case. But I'll say whether it's one or the other, maybe not both. But um, I think we get something, you know, towards that within the next year. I'll just say this: here's my my uh, one fan cast I would love to see come true: Henry Cavill as Doctor Doom. That's what I want. Yeah, that would work. He he's great, and yeah, that would that would be good. For sure. I, I would have to think about, you know, who some of the younger actors are now that would fit for some of uh, those particular characters. And, I, you know, there's just when it comes to Marvel, you would think that they basically would have their pick of the litter in terms of who they think 
would be the best fits of, of young actors because everyone's going to listen at the very least when Marvel comes ca- calling about uh, a role and playing a character. So I'll be curious to see what they come up with for some of the characters that haven't been cast or, or introduced in the universe uh, at this point. Yeah, it's true. I, I think a lot of actors, you know, a lot of them are asked about it, especially like the really, really famous ones. And I, a lot of them say... Uh, you know, some of them are a little snobby about it, and you know, I, I get it. Not everyone's gonna like the Marvel movies; it's fair. But I, I think um, a lot of them kind of like Benedict Cumberbatch and Florence Pugh and people who are like, you know, consistently in other excellent movies that are not Marvel superhero movies. Um, a lot of them seem to treat it as like, you know, they do it because it pays very, very well, which essentially enables them to do however many gajillion indie movies they want to do, right? And Hey, if that's how they want to treat it, that you know, more power to them. Um, I'll just say this to Keanu Reeves. I had just seen The Matrix Resurrections, um, which was a strange, a strange watch. Let's put it that way. But uh, he had been asked at the premiere, I think, if he had ever been in a Marvel movie, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to be in a Marvel movie." I don't know what role I would cast Keanu Reeves in, but. I've seen some people suggest that if they ever get around to making this uh, storyline a reality, that Keanu Reeves might be a good, like, Mr. Sinister for the X-Men, because that's not, I don't think that's something we've ever seen, I think, live action. They never really went the Mr. Sinister route in any of the X-Men Fox movies, so that could be an interesting one. I think he could pull it off, but uh, he is getting older, so I don't think we'll see him in very many Marvel movies if he ever gets cast in one. Yeah, that that would be uh, like it would be tough. I, I think there's there's a finite number of characters that I think he would fit with. But if there was some way that you could do it, it would be man, it would be great. It would be so cool to see him, you know, with this kind of late later career action hero niche that he's found, like Liam Neeson. If he could cross over into uh, the MCU, I think a lot of people would be really excited about that. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting twenty twenty two casting news, casting rumors, uh, certainly the actual products coming out like Doctor Strange, like we've said, and the other Disney Plus shows. But Josh, I guess um, let's plan to do this again, maybe this time next year, because I think by then we're gonna have a lot more news to talk about. Yeah, let's pencil it in. Thanks again to Josh for joining me for that chat on the MCU. Yeah, real like, honestly, as I said off the top, I I do really enjoy discussing the marvel universe i think it's fun um it may not be like the highest quality art <laughs> let's say i know uh, movies and the cinema uh is an art form and you know i know i don't know i know i know we always go over this every time and you know what what are marvel movies maybe josh and i should have talked about that a little more we'll save that for the next time though but either way um, it was kind of fun to just catch up with Josh, generally speaking, because I don't get to see him too often these days, as as we all don't get to see the, the people we enjoy hanging out with. But, um, yeah, it was fun to catch up with him and uh, speculate a little bit about what's coming. Yeah, I firmly believe, I firmly believe the Fantastic Four and eventually the X-Men will be the, the next big thing that shakes up the MCU. Because, you know, like in these kind of team-up, universe type things and maybe this is just informed by me playing a million video games over the course of my life but i really do feel like the the current version of the mcu is lacking essentially a smarty pants right it's a it's lacking like that tony stark character and i mean 
he was different than what a Reed Richards would be, right? Because, I mean, they're they're similar in the sense that they're both super geniuses, but, you know, Reed isn't as, like, smarmy or pro- probably wouldn't be as smarmy as Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark slash Iron Man, right? So I think uh, that's what's missing. I know, like, the Hulk and slash Bruce Banner are supposed to be super smart as well, and they have other people who are, like, really high up there, but I just they need someone whose, like, specialty is being a genius, right? And I feel like that's almost what... Mr. Fantastic is known for even more than the stretchy limbs, right? So I have no doubt it's going to be introduced sooner rather than later. It's just, you know, we already know what the Marvel slate is. Like For the general speaking, generally speaking, we know what it is. So, you know, once that is, you know, once we get to like 2024, I feel like we might have a trailer and probably some casting news as well. But either way, um, the MCU constantly fun to keep up with. And I'm sure they're going to do this for as long as they humanly possibly can. Um, because, hey, these movies might be made by some, like, testing formula with audiences and algorithms that are designed, you know, the the optimal point to wake audiences up because they haven't had an explosion in a while. That all very well may be true, but I still enjoy uh, partaking. Um, one thing I did see was that in 2021, 30% of box office dollars, 30%, went to a Disney Marvel movie, which is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because I think I'd seen that Spider-Man No Way Home in the last day or two. I think I'd seen that it it had uh, domestically, which means North America, the North American markets, U.S. and and Canada, um, Spider-Man No Way Home had crossed like the $621 million mark, which honestly is remarkable in the world of COVID. And... It's funny because there was this article written in the New York Times by, I believe it was Kyle Buchanan. You should go check it out if you can. It wasn't a long read. Um, and it basically discussed how revenue in, in the year of 2021, box office revenue, I should say, has kind of been kind of been dealt with. And it's fascinating because the article kind of talks about how like no one went to go see The Last Duel, which I have yet to see, but still. Um, talks about how no one has gone to see King Richard. No one has gone to see Dune, really, right? No one has gone to see, I don't know, West Side Story, right? And these are all movies that, by and large, have been critically acclaimed for a performance or, you know, Best Picture Belfast, right? No one went to go see that. Probably will win Best Picture this year, right? And I've, I think a lot of it, and I have said this too, whether it's on this podcast or just, like, out into the world, that you can probably blame older demographics because they're the, the the people who are not comfortable going back to movie theaters, right? Because we have heard over the last two years that COVID disproportionately affects older people. But it's interesting, right? Because Spider-Man made over $620 million domestically. That's not, not to speak of the worldwide numbers. But because Spider-Man made that much money, like there's no way you get to that much money without some of the older people going back. Like, I'm sorry, it's not all... 18 to 25 or 25 to 31 year old men going to see Spider-Man. It's, I'm sure it's mostly, but it's not all of those people, right? You need all the demographics to maintain those kinds of numbers, just generally speaking. So if that's the case, it begs the question, why are they going to see Spider-Man and not West Side Story, which is like directed by Steven Spielberg and is critically acclaimed and is based on a, a famous play and the original West Side Story in movie theaters in the 60s or whenever won a million Oscars and all these different things. So I find it all very fascinating because they had that number that Marvel took in 30% of all box office dollars in the year of 2021 is insane. I believe they last comparable 
in 2018 was 18 percent and that was in a big year because in 2018 i believe it was in it was an end game this came out in 2018 yeah, end game came out in 2018 or 2019 but either way one of infinity war and end game both of which were massive films came out that year so i just like it's crazy to think that quote-unquote lesser movies came out in 2021 and yet that's how much and people were i'm sure paying on top of that subscriptions to disney plus right because they want to see the disney plus shows and you know the mandalorian season two and now boba fett and yet on all the other things on top of it so i just i'm curious to see what the state of the box office will be like in 2022 i do kind of believe we're at the point now where i think studios need to embrace their uh their streaming future right i mean disney can probably cheat and get away with it because superheroes like spider-man will always be money makers and like i mentioned with the fantastic four and the x-men those will be massive moneymakers as well because audiences are familiar with them, right? But Spider-Man has always long been one of the most famous superheroes in the world, like even before the Tobey Maguire movie was made in the year 2002. Like even before that, Spider-Man consistently topped the list of the most recognizable superheroes, even in a list with Batman and Superman and so on, right? So it uh, does beg the question, I think in March or, or April, whenever the Batman comes out, like the, the Reeves Batman movie with Robert Pattinson as, as Batman and uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Uh, great trailer, by the way. It came out a couple of weeks ago or so, just after Christmas, I think. Um, it'll, it begs the question how well that movie will do, because if that movie can draw people back to theaters, I'm not saying it'll change everyone, but it, it, it does make me wonder what other kinds of non-superhero movies will be able to draw people back to movie theaters. Because there are some pretty interesting movies coming out the rest of the year, like non-Oscar contender movies. There's that Northman movie starring Alexander Skarsgård and Anya Taylor-Joy. That movie looks really interesting. I don't know. There's some. It's going to be a fascinating year once again for uh, the box office and studios and seeing what decisions are made streaming-wise and theaters and so on, right? Because, I mean, I haven't watched West Side Story. I haven't watched The King's Man um, I only recently watched King Richard and Ghostbusters only because they finally came to streaming. So when other movies come to streaming, I think more people will watch them. But at the same time, it's going to be a – I bet at the Oscars this year, it's going to be another year of – like people will watch or – I mean I know the numbers dwindle for that, that, uh, that award ceremony every year. But at the same time, I really do think this year is going to be one of those years where people say, what? What are all of these movies? I've never heard of Spencer. I've never heard of – of King Richard, I've never heard of this. Like, uh, I've never heard of the power of the dog. What? Why wasn't Spider-Man No Way Home nominated? Right? I just—it's going to be another. So, if if you hate those kinds of conversations, I uh, I implore you to brace yourself because something tells me we're going to get more on that. But either way, that does it for me on this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening to basically an all discussion episode of the podcast. But always good to have you along again. Happy New Year! I hope you're all doing well in the early stages of 2022. And until next time, have a great night. They call me Mr. Tibbs.